Welcome, bienvenue to the Fantasy Tools Podcast. This is a show where fantasy tools discuss fantasy tools. I'm your host, Eric Rentz, and I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Peterson. Our mission is to discuss fantasy baseball and the tools that we're developing that help us manage our teams. Cue that intro music. So have you ever thought about trying to put some of our algorithm work to good use here? I know. I sent you that Zillow uh, $1 million prize for an algorithm to improve their, well, an algorithm that improves their algorithm. Yeah. You want to take a shot at this? I mean, there's a whole cottage industry out there of uh, bounties for improving algorithms. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, I haven't. I haven't actually seen many of those. Yeah, there's a. If you if you haven't checked it out, the website Kaggle dot com. K a g g l e. Excuse me. Maybe it's Kaggle. I don't know. I've only ever seen that word written before. (laughs) 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 Uh, Yeah, there's a whole there's a whole website industry devoted to putting up bounties on algorithm improvements. Well, we should take a shot at this one because one million dollars sounds pretty good. Well, I I don't think that we're just going to put in an hour of work on it and walk away with a million dollars, but uh, you never know. No, well, it would, yeah, it would be like the amount of work that we put in on this podcast every other week, and we would we could hope that we could get to the second round. Yes. Yeah? This feels like before when you've told me that we're not allowed to do DFS until we start winning in our league. <laughs> <laughs> just one more way to prolong our... Uh, our absence from DFS. That's right. So I got a text message uh, after in the aftermath of the Edinson Volquez no hitter, asking if it was the the least probable outcome that we'd seen this year. And so you know, like the good statistician that I am, I ran the numbers on this. And would you believe it? Actually, if you believe the the Bill James game score metric, this is that game score is only a two point six out. 2.6 sigma outlier from his norm yeah yeah that that's not it wasn't an amazing no hitter huh. i mean only two walks i mean it's that's that's no um liriano liriano yes. had like eight walks in yes. a no hitter one time but yeah that wasn't an amazing it wasn't an amazing outing that was an edison Volquez special it really felt like it, right? It was it was the type of thing where it's like this feels like a very typical Edison Volquez outing, and and then suddenly poof, it's over. It's no hitter. Yeah, no, I, exactly. I I got the announcement in like I saw it on, on my phone in like the six, and I was like, oh, plenty of time for him to give up that three run jack, <laughs> you know, and end up with only two hits. He'd uh, he he'd thrown a one hitter before. And back in 2011, mm. but that was he don't he's only thrown one complete game shutout in his career. Wow! And then he throws a no hitter. So it's not like he's only thrown three complete games in his entire career. Only one of those was a shutout. So, like, <laughs> I mean, I I hear where I hear where this this like improbability is coming from, but I don't know. Maybe it's not as unexpected as we might have thought a priori. I know the real thing with him is he's the kind of guy that gets you. 
90% of the way there, but that last 10%, it's like, you know, every time you see the bag of chips that's like 99% fat free and you're like, oh, that one last 1% is 100% fat. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yikes. All right. So what's this story that you shared with me? We got another, another fantasy novel to read. <laughs> yeah. And it's actually, this is an interesting one. Um, the, the presentation of this I found particularly interesting by the New York times. So, Jared Tolkien's son, who is 93 years old, is putting up what he what he says is, you know, the last Tolkien book because he is he's like he's been the editor of these books since J.R.R. died in 1973. <laughs> Taking his time. Yeah, I know. So apparently this is the story. Uh, this is the story that mimics the story of him meeting his wife. So if you're J.R.R. Tolkien and you meet your wife, except you spend all day fantasizing about Middle-earth. You know, you recast everybody <laughs> in the story as Middle-earth characters, and you end wow. up with this book. I didn't realize that, that it was, um, that he saw that story as his him meeting his wife. Wow, he really holds his wife in high esteem then. Yeah, I mean, she gets to be an elf, so <laughs> he, he knows what's up. But I think I also wanted to point out there's there's this one line from the article. I like the New York Times quickly summarizing, just glossing over a lot about Middle Earth. He he assigns Baron a task that brings a couple into conflict with an evil creature called Melkor, the thematic <laughs> predecessor to Sauron, the villain of the Lord of the Rings. Oh, thank you. Oh, I was I was wondering who Sauron was. I'm this deep into reading a review of a book by J.R.R. Tolkien's oh, son. Yeah. Like, <laughs> All right, this week, Eric is going to reprise one of our favorite things to talk about, Bastardos, and then I am going to recap one of my favorite things to think about this season, how to forecast runs, and how we did looking back at one of the earlier pods. Take it away, Eric. Well, my friend, it looks like I'm selling my closers and moving to greener pastures. My pitching has been all over the map this year, so... I've been thinking it's about time to strip down and go Bastardo. For listeners unfamiliar, the Bastardo strategy, named for reliever Antonio Bastardo, seeks to use middle relievers undervalued and readily available in lieu of closers and starters to reduce ERA and whip while staying somewhat competitive in Ks due to their high K per nines. As maligned as your snows, rivers, sands, and storms may be, they can be of use even without their father's sigil. MP, can you come up with any good GOT bastard to MLB bastardo comparisons? Direct comparisons? I mean... Direct, yeah. You know, I've, I've, this has been weighing heavily on me as Danny Salazar recently got kicked to the bullpen and really really would be leading a, a leading Bastardo candidate. He is leading the MLB in K per nine right now. <laughs> but, and I, I've actually, I always think of him as a villain from the Hunger Games instead. And it, I think it's because of how, it's because of how aggressive he cuts his facial hair. Yeah. So maybe he would work as a sand. He could be a sand. He could definitely be a sand. What do you think? Uh, David Phelps. Who Who is Ooh, David, David Phelps? Phelps. Good. He's got to be a snow, right? A snow? I was thinking a river. Oh, yeah. No, you're right. He's definitely a river. He could be coming from the twins. One of uh... <laughs> That's exactly what I was just thinking. 
one of the loin products. Oh, he's, he's for sure coming from there. That's a that's a good one. I like that. <laughs> All right. So my mission for this week was another data mining exercise. I warned everyone it would be a theme, and so I return to the well. While k-means might be my main squeeze, I thought this week I might try a little fling with my old friend PCA, aka Principal Component Analysis. This is a statistical procedure that uses a data transformation to convert a set of observations of possibly correlated variables into a set of values of linearly uncorrelated variables called principal components. Oof, that was, uh, thank you, Wikipedia, for writing that out. Oh, I was thinking that sounded really good. but <laughs> Yeah, go ahead. heavily edited still, but yeah, thank you, Wikipedia. <laughs> Um, in lay terms, the idea is that PCA is a data reduction technique that describes a data set with several variables by a few, quote, principal components, thus simplifying the data set. MP, anything you want to add here? Do I need to dust off the unsupervised learning soapbox for you? No, no. I, I love PCA, and let me tell you why. Because it oh involves incredibly difficult and complex matrix operations and mm. anytime that you're like look let's just make a thousand by thousand matrix and solve an eigenvalue problem i'm like yes sign me up for that <laughs> <laughs> all right the crux of the biscuit then is that i applied the pca statistical technique to a relief pitcher data set uh, the data set was a mix of pitching stats with bra k per nine walks per nine left on base babip um, grab from fan graphs for all 2017 relief pitchers. The goal here was reduce the complexity of the data set. That's a, you know, it's a lot of dimensions that you're looking at, a lot of, you know, slightly correlated um, dimensions as well. So try to reduce that. Suss out what metrics are good for identifying best artos and figure out a few best artos to target next ad drop period. MP, what variables would you be curious to include in an analysis like this? You know, I got to say, I'm, I'm liking the left on base. I didn't think about that. But that's, that's, a strat, that's a stat that I've heard people sort of throw out. Anytime you're trying to poke holes and sort of a, like, no, this pitcher is actually good. Well, his left on base is really huge. So he's getting incredibly lucky. I'm a big fan of that. Um, I'm Irvin Santana. <laughs> Irvin Santana. Yeah. Hey, he's leading the MLB in shutouts right now, so leave him alone. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but yeah, go I, ahead. I'm wondering if you can fit um, if you can fit any of the the velocity data into this. If you can Ooh. grab like fastball velocity and see anything about that. Yeah, no, I I need to go through and and create that. Um, I need to create like a tool set for us. Mm -hmm. That'd be awesome. But yeah. Anyway, so, yeah, a, a couple of these were a little bit of fun to add in there. A um, few things for next time, I guess. Explaining PCA analysis requires me to mention data eigenvectors, eigenvalues, covariance matrices, and coefficient matrices. So I'm going to gloss over <laughs> things a smidge <laughs> and skip to some of the observations, some of the good stuff. Yeah, you, even I don't want to hear you talk about that. So, <laughs> oh my god, I'm not gonna. If, if you saw me tripping over explaining what PCA is, like, yeah, don't, you don't want me to try to explain eigenvectors. But first thing that 
that I want to talk about. Typically, when you do this analysis, you find that there's one variable that carries the brunt of the predictive, explanatory directionality of the data set. Not so with the factors that I used in this relief pitching data set. ERA and FIP were the leading coefficient in the first principal component, meaning that they had the, um, you know, they described the data set the most. But even then, it wasn't, it was about 40% of the variance was described by either ERA or, or FIP. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm looking at this, this plot that you put together, and I'm troubled by how flat the distribution is even after the first one. Oh, yeah, no, it's, it's, they're very similar, which you don't, normally, um, when you're doing this analysis, you'll find that, like, the top five variables yeah. will describe the data set, like, 99% of the, the data set, and that, la and that fifth one, basically, you don't need to use, but, like, this, you know, you, you need to have, like, you need to have a lot of variables involved. <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> Bummer. This isn't Bummer. this isn't super easy with a simple takeaway. I know. Who <laughs> who could have guessed? It? I'm sure that no one's ever thought to use PCA to analyze <laughs> relief pitchers in, in baseball before. Um, second, I was expecting the results would reveal some natural groupings of players, and sort mm -hmm. of, sort of it did, but um, I wasn't wild about the like the positive results on this. I've added some clustering for Mike to see, and I'll, I'll share this this graph, but really it's just a cloud. The thing is, is it was very good at separating out the bad pitchers <laughs> and different types of bad I pitchers. Mean, you know, that's valuable too, right? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, they're like pretty obvious ones. Um, so third thing was when I took a look at the, uh, the progression candidates, um, that are kind of revealed by the data set, it kind of picks some head scratch, not, well, pick some guys that, that I'm a little bit concerned about. So like it was really hyping up JJ Hoover, who I think we've all owned hoping that he would be the closer <laughs> for, you know, the fill in or closer for a team. And woof. <laughs> so I'm a little bit concerned about that. It did some things. Okay. So I decided to, um, to do something that I don't normally do, which is uh, some model validation. I know. I whoa. surprising. Whoa, whoa, whoa! We we never do this. We're just like one hit wonders. We hit it. We we're done. We move on. <laughs> hit it. Quit it. Forget it. Yeah. No. This time I said, you know what? Some of this looks a little fishy. Let's let's test this out. Wow! Wow! Um, wow. Okay. I know. Crazy. Crazy. So, a little bit of model validation with a little bit of clustering, a little bit of linear regression and you know what the uh the clustering that i did had a lot of agreement but by using the um first four principal components so the coefficient that had the highest value from the first four principal components put those into the clustering routine and it pushed out some some really good stuff so i've got another one of my 3d <laughs> 3d dot graphs for you and i've uh displayed it with all of the the universe of relief pictures that you and i have owned this season. i was just gonna say yeah these 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 guys look familiar and some some for not a good reason but yeah so six different clusters really separated things out in a way that makes makes a lot of sense 
except for that top tier. That top tier is spread out. Everyone from Cody Allen. Really amorphous. Yeah, I would never in a million years put Cody Allen and Craig Kimbrell in the same cluster, but... I have to put, like, and Kenley Jansen, yeah. I have to put... You have to make, like, 10 or 12 clusters before you start separating them out. It's oh. just... Because <laughs> otherwise, otherwise, you just subdivide the Fernando Rodney cluster into crappy and crappier. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I think the main takeaway was that while PCA wasn't up for the task, the modeling exercise was extremely helpful. Remember, modeling isn't about predicting an outcome. It's about developing the pathway to an outcome. On that thought, the model validation step flipped into a calibration exercise for the alternative model. It which ended up looking pretty good. This can happen. I'll share a few players on the Twitters along with some graphs on Wednesday, oddly enough, uh, or maybe Thursday after at drops <laughs> <go> through. <laughs> I don't know that anyone else is going to pick up these bestardos. I, I think you're alone in our league on that, but you may as well protect your IP, I guess. Last week, we got a little off topic during our review session but we didn't want to leave you guys hanging without our opinions on Italian sausage. Here's the outtake. Which for cooking in like, you know, ground sausage, you want the Italian stuff. But yeah, in a actual sausage in the phallic form, <laughs> you want a bratwurst. Agreed. No one's no one's splitting a bratwurst open to get to the sausage on the inside. <laughs> you no. Know, that's, no that, keep that. Keep frankly, that you hidden. don't want to do that. You don't want to see yeah, what's in that there. Hidden. But... <laughs> <laughs> Most definitely. Way back in podcast 1.01, we previewed the predictions for runs going into this year and looked for a correlating statistic. Maybe we might call this a PCA by hand <laughs> to try and help us tease out some of the underlying secrets. And I, my editorial comment here would be, doesn't that just always seem to be our quest? Is how can we make this problem slightly more complicated to hopefully make it easier? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I always think about it. You're kind of like opening opening up the patient on the table, and it's like, oh boy, let's hope we don't forget where we put the spleen. <laughs> yeah, I I think that's about right. So in this case, for the runs in 1.01, podcast 1.01, we chose to look at OBP on base percentage versus runs per plate appearance. The reason that we did this was we thought that forecasting plate appearances can get dicey. And that's one of the things that you might want to track for individual right. players during the season. It's harder to predict that during the year than it is to maybe predict some of the ratio to statistics. And I'll just caveat this side note. I think we were right to consider runs per plate appearance. Uh, two of the guys, you know, sadly, that are leading the run, the total number of runs right now, Mike Trout and Freddie Freeman, neither one of those guys is is likely to lead the league in total runs this year. Yep. All because of plate appearance problems. Yep. <clears throat> so <laughs> Plate appearance problems. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I guess uh, I guess Mike Trout's was a, a base appearance problem, but Freddie Freeman's was a literal plate appearance problem. Oh, too soon. <laughs> so shots fired i know that was a little mean i'm sorry i'm sorry freddie freeman don't add us <laughs> but in case uh we haven't lost any of the pure baseball fans listening to this podcast i want to try and just look at get a bearing on where teams are and then we'll think about what individual players in fantasy production should look like all right 
pop quiz for Eric here. I'm I'm out of school, haven't given any pop quizzes recently, so got to itch scratch oh that itch here. Uh here we go. Who's scored more runs between these sets of teams? Brewers versus the Red Sox. Is this a trick? Red Sox? Of course it's a trick. The Brewers have scored way more runs than the Red Sox. Son of a <laughs> Which, like uh it's crazy. It's a, you know, 280 to 260 basically right now. All right. Here we go. Bottom feeders. Padres versus Phillies. Who is sh- who who has more runs? I mean, this really is like a who's shittier, but Phillies. Yeah, the Phillies by a a landslide. Mm. To be fair, they are third and fourth to last, but wow, <laughs> the Phillies yeah. do have many more. And how about this one? I I think you probably know the answer because we talked about this before. But Blue Jays versus Cubs. Have we talked about this before? I'm gonna say Blue Jays. Uh, it's so they're actually this is this is kind of unfair. It, this one's the Cubs, but just by a hair. And these are two teams that I think we would have thought going into the season might have had loftier run totals. Mm-hmm. So I would say that actually this simple exercise, just looking at the team total runs so far this year, has been really interesting. Um, led by the Astros, no surprise. And uh, you know, always get out there and ride hard for those Rockies players because they score runs like nobody's business. In terms of looking at individual players, the gold standard or the pinnacle right now, nine weeks into the season, is players with 40 runs. Now, some of these guys, uh, there's eight of these in total. And it's interesting, we've talked a little bit and we've looked at some of these distribution curves for uh, how the top X number of players are producing any stat Mm -hmm. there always seems to be at the highest end the top 10 players where the linear correlation breaks down and it starts to go exponential and we're seeing that again this year of course um this list almost makes sense so i'll just i'll just run down it. you can tell me what you think uh goldschmidt harper (laughs) judge springer thames (laughs) Corey dickerson Blackman and Yeah, Aaron don't Alton. try to say his name like that's just uh, I mean Corey Dickerson right I, here in this That's the thing in this so conversation. It's, honestly, if you had to go down this and be like one of these things is not like the other, Corey Dickerson is not even an everyday player. How did he make this list? Yeah, that is amazing. I mean, run uh, like I would have expected that for RBIs, but not for runs. Sure. Runs is crazy. I like they're not pinch running him. I mean, I I really don't understand where that came from, but he's he's been just outsized effect on the runs this year. But so these guys obviously are are the top tier here, and we'll sort of put a pin in that and come back as we talk about the rest of the corollary. All right, so that's sort of get our bearings on runs. You have any any season wide thoughts on runs right now? Well, I do think that that's interesting at this point in the season that it's the stalwarts and we're not even talking the like stalwart like prototypical leadoff men Mm -hmm. these are the guys who are batting second and third who are getting the plate appearances who are the ones contributing in rbis and home runs as well as runs these are like really good players and i think that that's i when i was doing the growth curve stuff Mm -hmm. I was actually figuring out that this these were the players that were dominating the first half of the season were the ones who were just like, you know, the just really good blue chip players. And then at the end of the season, you see kind of like these players like have a delayed but higher slope huh. come in. Okay. That just like all of a sudden, you know, surpass. That's I mean, that's what I'm hoping Billy Hamilton's going to have happen to him. 
I mean, Billy Hamilton is at 39 runs, so like, let's not let's not lose any sleep over that. But come on, Joey. Yeah, I know it really is Joey Votto's fault. But that's the thing is that that those players, those those players who end up being the highest run run score totals, are the ones who end up getting into first uh, the first batting um, batting order position, and then just getting knocked around and the most of these teams are still playing around with their their batting orders figuring out where everyone should be so it's gonna you know this is this point in the season where things are gonna start to solidify you know like one player that i know that you had down here who i was interested in was adam eaton (laughs) yeah not playing anymore but was supposed to be that guy and who's gonna fill in for him yeah that's right now all of these things are interesting i think that that's actually it's actually something that i hadn't thought about is how the the character of accumulating runs changes over the course of a season um maybe that's something that we can we can think about in a little bit more depth and even think about um in terms of revisiting growth curves in the next couple weeks and preparing for you know playoff time i i don't want to think about that but yes um eventually (laughs) man i'm so nervous all right preseason when we looked at OBP versus runs per plate appearance, we had, there are a couple, there's six principal OBP guys, guys that stuck out on the outlier end. Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, Goldschmidt, Votto, Cabrera, and Freeman. Um, and I just want to note that only the first four of those were pegged, were predicted to have an OBP over 400. You want to guess how many players nine weeks in have an OBP over 400 right now? 20. 24 whoa (laughs) so this to me i I mean i i think this is a this is a side note but the the predictions looking at um in the preseason predictions are much more conservative so people they're loath to predict Mm -hmm. that a bunch of guys are going to be over 400 plate appearances or 400 plate appearances over an obp of 400 um, because when it goes awry, it's worse to be below than above, I guess. I don't know. I've been struggling to figure out why. I, I don't know. I've, I've wondered that too. Yeah. So anyway, and I, I marked the guys on the eight total. Um, half of them have an OBP over 400. Paul Goldschmidt, Bryce Harper, Aaron Judge, and, and Thames, which begrudgingly makes me wonder if Thames is more real than I gave him credit for in the past. <clears throat> but like A couple of bet boxes. Yeah. Therefore, uh, let's yeah, let's move on before I stick my foot further into my mouth on that. Uh, but maybe on some level, you know, who cares about those guys? They're long gone for the most part. You're not going to have a chance to pick those guys up. So let's uh, let's speculate a little bit here. All right. I I tossed you a plot here of runs per plate appearance versus OBP, and there's a lot of scatter in this. But I think that you can confidently remove a first order correlation from this. And so what I want to do now, if we're hunting for runs, is look for guys who have a good ratio stat and might just be hurting for plate appearances, and we'll watch these guys a little bit more closely. All right, so here's guys. How about this? The surefire guys. This is maybe the prototypical category here. Again, maybe now we're doing K-means by eye. I guess I should probably formalize (laughs) most of these. All right. Here we One go. Uh, the surefire guys in the runs per plate appearance: Trey Turner, Billy Hamilton, George Springer, Joey Gallo. Do you, you notice anything about these guys yet? Anything that's in common here? 
Uh, you don't have to yet, but I'll you know I'll start illustrating here a little bit more. Okay. All right. So they here's can steal a base. here's what was that? They can steal a base. Yeah. Well, uh, that's a key part, I think. Um, and here's another thing. Maybe maybe these guys are good now. They they're on the edge in plate appearances. Um, Kiki Hernandez, Delano De Shields, Delano, excuse me, De Shields, Jose Iglesias, who I dropped this morning stupidly, and Cody Bellinger. Cody Bellinger. I, you know, all right. And then here are the guys that you should wait for PAs, but could be worth speculating on. They're way high outliers on the runs per plate appearance. So if they start to get those plate appearances, they'll start to accumulate runs. For Unfortunately, there's frowning faces next to a couple of these guys for good reasons. Uh, <laughs> Jake Marisnik, Adam Eaton, Austin Barnes, Juan Lagares, Adam Andrew Tolls, frowning face there, and frowning face on Adam Eaton. And Devin Marrero, who I put stars in because he's he's my best bet. Devin Marrero. Devin Marrero. Wow, yeah. I, I noticed him have a game the other day. I watched him have a game the other day. <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah, I was I was but he's he's a huge outlier on this. Um so <laughs> I'm wondering though, here's my notice anything yet. Does this this to me looks like age is a huge factor in this? Mmm. I see what you're saying. Yeah. There's a lot of young guys chomping at the bit to go and and get out there and run. So I'm looking at, I you know, see. Billy Hamilton's sort of the outlier here. He's the old man of this, <laughs> really. Wow. He's the old man? I mean, look at him. He really is the old guy on this list. Like, when you compare him in the surefire category to Trey Turner, Joey Gallo, and George Springer... Yep. I mean, All right, fair he's enough. the outlier, but then... And then everybody else, you know, you've got Cody Bellinger... Um, Jake Marisnik is, I guess, on the older side, but like Juan Laguerre, Sam Eaton, Devin Marrero. I mean, all these guys are, are on the young side. So that's, that's something I'm going to put a pin in and think about. So it's opportunity. I mean, those players need the opportunity. And as soon as they're, they're spot like Devin Marrero, part mm-hmm. of the problem is, is that he is behind Dustin Pedroia yep. who gets hurt a lot, but doesn't typically hit the, I mean, this new 10 day DL is helping him, but yeah, it doesn't stay on there for long. That's right. But so somebody like Devin Marrero, you, you really got to watch his plate appearances. And so I think, you know, just to wrap this all up, I would say that my main takeaway here is that runs per plate appearance is a valuable thing. And OBP Mm -hmm. can help you sort of make a first order correlation with runs per plate appearance and at least provide a check on this. But again, you just got to watch those plate appearances because ultimately you're trying to get runs, not <laughs> the runs per plate appearance ratio statistic. So right, right, exactly. They have yeah. to get to the plate. Um, but I feel pretty good about speculating on guys based on their runs per plate appearance, trying to get in ahead of other guys in your league if you can forecast their plate appearances going forward. Yeah, this is the first step. Yep. Second step is trying to forecast those the denominator. Well, I mean, like like you were just saying, right? If Dustin Pedroia goes down, grab Devin Marrero because he's speedy. Yeah. He's got a good runs per plate appearance statistic. Just needs those plate appearances. Absolutely. All right, you want to wrap this sucker up? Yes, and you know we got a obligatory other sport mention here. Uh, NBA Finals. Uh, doesn't really look like we're going to have much to talk about next week other than crowning the nope. champions. <laughs> no, are you still uh, rooting for the wine and gold this year? Of course I am. <laughs> Emphasis on the wine. Why'd they wear the black? That bums me out. I don't like it. They took the black or something? 
They kind of did, yeah, sitting on the wall, <laughs> pissing off the end of the earth. You know that I ride hard for any team that Kevin Love is on. Oh, boy. Yeah, you and probably you alone of Minnesotans. Yeah, well, I mean, he's going to probably end up in uh, in Laker Golds pretty soon. I would say so, especially after this series. If, this, if they get swept, I, I think, uh, I mean, <laughs> as much as I don't really want to see him become part of the big baller brand, uh, <laughs> could go out that way. That'd be hysterical. You can probably tell listeners from how little we're actually discussing the finals, how boring we both find them. <laughs> yeah, I haven't been able to like even pay attention no. to the games and like have it on, and then all of a sudden I'll be like, "Oh yeah, I was looking at my phone for ten minutes. What's the score?" <laughs> all right. Well, that brings us to the review session. Cantaloupe. <laughs> Uh, you want to talk some melons, buddy? That's a good, good Christopher Walken phrase there. Uh, but yes, cantaloupe. I. What do you think? I. I want you to give me your thoughts here. Like, all right, when you come to a fruit salad, and there's cantaloupe, and there's honeydew, and you know, I'll even throw this in the mix. There's pineapple in there. Are you you digging around any of them? Ooh, there's a little pineapple in there. You know what I almost always void is watermelon. I feel like I've I've been like tricked too many times into seeing. Ooh, look at that watermelon looks pretty good. Like <laughs> mealy, overly sweet. You know, maybe a little rancid underneath. I go for the honeydew. I you know I go for the honeydew. I thought about just making this review session a straight cantaloupe versus honeydew battle <laughs> because I knew that you were going to come down. I don't know how. I don't have we ever even eaten melons together like this, but I <laughs> I whoa, um I I I don't know if we have man, there, Mike. I I love cantaloupe. You are dead wrong on the preferred melon here. Oh my gosh. I I like honeydew because it's got, I don't know, it's a little bit, a little bit more savory than the the cantaloupe. It's just way too sweet, mealy. Oh. Like you always get the, you always get the rind in there. They always get the rind in I, there. I think you've been. You have to bite around it. I think you've been. And then you have some seeds. crappy cantaloupe. That's all there is to say about that. When you were served melon as a child, was it? Was it? in slices or was it cut off the rind and served to you you know a little bit of both okay i don't think that there was the yeah the preferred cantaloupe method was the you know cut it up into like a half thing mm -hmm. and then you know cut and then like serve it on the rind oh like a, and sliced up oh with the, that with was the a display i like it yeah a little display going you know what i never have really gotten into melon balling Oh, I think, well, for the longest time, I thought that it was the coolest concept. You know, I was like a kid and I was like, wow, melon balling, this is, this is the best. And then I thought it was the worst because I realized that my parents were wrecking it with booze. And then <laughs> later on in my life, I was like, wait a second, this actually is the best <laughs> melons soaked in booze. All right. I'm being ridiculous. So again, phrasing. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're getting into some dangerous territory here, but how did we never do that in the uh, in the house? I don't know. We gotta. I I'll, all I'm saying is that I think you got to give melon balls a shot. I might. 
Just do it with Honeydew. You know, if you need to do it with Honeydew, I can get behind that. Bojack doesn't agree with me either, does he? <laughs> no, he doesn't. <laughs> All right, time for a little housekeeping. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter, Fantasy Tools, Mind the Z. I still think we are sans reviews, so if you want to be the first review, help us out, get us noticed. That would be great. Thank you, Mild Manor, for letting us use your tunes. Be sure to follow them on SoundCloud and Facebook. Feel free to email us with questions or comments. Send us messages at fantasy.tools at gmail.com. Again, mind the Z. All I've got left is, where's the luck to you, buddy? Where's the luck to you, too? <laughs>